At this time, it's my privilege to introduce to you Reverend Dan Kroos. And so come on up, Dan. Well, good morning. I want to thank you for the invitation to come and, and meet you. I've been hearing about this church for a long time. always wanted to come out here, so thank you so much, and uh, thank you for your prayers. Um, I'm the chaplain at a jail um, in Plymouth where I was an inmate. Um, you may have heard an old commercial a long time ago about a guy who found a way to grow hair, and he said something about, I'm not only the president, but I'm also a client, and it showed him, you know... <laughs> So I was not only an inmate, but I'm also the chaplain. And, uh, and so, yeah, they don't give you a Bible in school, but if you go to jail, they give you one. Isn't that awesome? I mean, something wrong with that picture. But uh, anyway, I was grateful. I went in there broken, and uh, as many do, they go in there and realize, you know, they're probably going to lose their job, uh, their car, their truck, their business, their house, and or apartment, and or family. And so they're broken. And the truth is, everyone is broken, but they don't realize it so much until they go to jail. And, um, and you know the old saying, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So people have no clue that they're broken, that they're in sin and on their way to hell, and uh, their only hope is the gospel. But in jail, you realize how broken you are, and, and that's when, uh, you know, I come in and the chaplain... Uh, shares the message and leads people to the Lord, and that's what I've been doing for 26 years. I'm uh, faith-funded. I don't get paid by the government, and um, God's been providing for me and uh, my family. I, uh, my story, I have uh, some CDs of my story. If you'd like to take one on the way out, I put some out in the foyer. Um, one is um, me speaking at a church, me telling the story. Another one is uh, a, an old-fashioned radio program called Unshackled. Anybody ever heard of that? It's mostly out west and down south. But it's kind of an old uh, radio uh, ministry where they hire actors and they act out your story on stage. You know, they got the sound effects and all the actors acting it out. I guess they spent like, well, they spent five grand 26 years ago. I don't know what it is today. But they hire these professional actors and they do this thing and, uh, and that's how they share the gospel on the radio. So anyway, uh, they're out in the foyer if you'd like to take one. Uh, you can, and if you remember our ministry and prayer, I really appreciate that. So uh, I was asked to bring a message, which uh, I thought I'd share the very first message that I ever preached in my life, one you're very well familiar with, uh, called the Good Samaritan, or nicknamed the Good Samaritan. It's found in Luke, if you want to turn there, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 37. While you're turning there, I'll just give you a little backdrop of what's going on. Remember, this uh, takes place a couple thousand years ago. And uh, right before or in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we have this uh, intertestamental period uh, where it has been nicknamed the 400 years of silence. Basically, there's no prophet speaking. There's really not much going on with God. And Israel has been... Um, you know, beaten up by all these other nations and so forth, taken captive, and, you know, they first they sin. God allows them to be taken captive. They cry out to God. God forgives them. They bring them back, and then they, what do they do? They sin again, and God brings them in and spanks them again, and then, you know, and it goes around and around. And then in this period, again, between the Testaments, we have this group rise up, and they want to set things straight and get back to God, and the only way they know is through the law. So this group arises, 
And they said, we've got to get back to God. We've got to get people back uh, to appreciating the law. And um, they called themselves the separated ones. And the Greek word for that is Pharisee. So they began with good intentions, and they wanted to get the people back right with God. And again, all they had was the law, so they began with good intentions. But by the time Jesus comes on the scene, they had really made a mess of things and um, you know, twisted and bent rules and did everything they could to kind of have their cake and eat it too. So everything is going fine until one day God comes down. God the Son comes down. Remember, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many gods? One. The Father so loves the world, he sends his Son. And so we read in the Bible that God is spirit. Now, we don't know what spirit is. You know, I, I think of Casper, the friendly ghost. You know, we got a little sheet, you know, smiley guy. Um, but we don't know what spirit is. So one day, this spirit put flesh on. He came, was born of the virgin, and came into the world as a human being, as a baby. And he put on flesh again for two reasons. One, to reveal himself to his creation, and two, that he might pay the penalty of sin, which is death. Just so you know, God can't die. God never did die. God can't die. He can't sin. He can't lie. As someone... When we say, can God do anything, you got to remember the answer. No, uh, no, he can't do everything. Uh, there's some things he can't. He can't lie, he can't sin, he can't die. So he takes on flesh, again, to reveal himself and to die or pay the penalty for our sins. So when he comes on the scene, again, we got these people playing church. They're happy. they got a good little thing going. And all of a sudden, pure holiness comes down and starts walking among them. The Bible says he was in the world. And the world was created by him, but the world knew him not. Again, approximately to that, we got God himself walking the face of the earth. And so when he comes into the world, the Pharisees, uh, they don't like this. They don't like this. They All of a sudden, the people are following him. He's doing these miracles, and they don't like this. So they, they want to make him look bad. They want to try to take him down. They want to kind of ruin him. And so they come up with these ways to kind of trap him. And so the context for this message basically is found in Matthew. He's going around preaching, healing, teaching, and so forth. And on one occasion, the Pharisee says, I know how we're going to jack him. I know how we're going to trick him. I know how we're going to make him look bad. So they come on the scene. He's preaching. They said, teacher, we've got a question for you. And he said, what is it? He says, well, is it lawful or unlawful for us to pay tribute to Caesar? pay taxes. And it's a trick question. You know, if he says this, we get him. If he says that, we get him. So Jesus, being God, sees right through him and says, uh, show me a coin. And so they hand him a coin. He says, whose image is on it? They say unto him, Caesar. And he says, well, give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar and give unto God the things that belong to God. And so with that, the Pharisees said, oh, and went their merry way, all right? So after they're done, the Sadducees come up. Now, they want to trick him. So they said, oh, we'll show you how to do it. So they're like the Pharisees, but they don't believe in the resurrection. So they come up to him and say, teacher, we got a question. 
And so they say um, there was a man who got married, and before his wife could conceive, he died. So in the law of Moses, it says that the brother needs to marry her and help her conceive to carry on the family name. So this man dies. His wife didn't conceive, so the brother marries her, tries to help her conceive. But before she could, he too dies. So the other brother comes along and marries her and helps her to try to conceive. And before she dies, she, he too dies. And then they said, we, we really just got one question. You know, in the resurrection, who's going to be her husband? Because there were seven brothers. So now Jesus answered and said, well, you know, first off, you err concerning the scriptures. Neither do you know the power of God. For they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but they become like as unto angels. And then he says, and as, as far as concerning the resurrection, which is really where they were going, he said, have you not read the law of Moses, where God revealed himself from the burning bush to Moses and said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jesus said, he's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. And they said, oh. And went their merry way. So, so strike two, one, strike two. So here's our context. The lawyer's turn, all right? Verse 25. So the lawyer comes up and says, we never should have sent a boy to do a man's job. Let me show you how to trick him and make him fall. And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jericho to, uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend when I come, I'll repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. So again, here's the lawyer's turn trying to trap Jesus. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Again, verse 25. Now, Jesus does not say, you know, well, you know, just admit you're a sinner, believe on me. You know, he doesn't go through the four spiritual laws or anything. He just kind of says, hey, uh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, I'm going to do a little trick question here, and I don't want you to jump. I want you to think before you answer. 
Again, the question is, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is pointing to the law. So the question naturally arises, can the law give eternal life? Now, this is a trick question. You got to think. Can the law give eternal life? Well, according to Jesus, he asked the question, what is your reading of the law? Now, what he does is he sums up the law in two commandments. That Jesus does this elsewhere. If you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, under these two commandments, you pretty much keep everything. You know that? If you keep the love of the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you'll keep the top four, which deal with God. If you deal with love your neighbor as yourself, you'll keep the bottom six, which deal with others. So when he says that, when he answers that, Jesus says, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Do this. And you will live. So could the law give eternal life? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it could. Nothing wrong with the law. Law is perfect. Law is holy. Nothing wrong with the law. But there's something wrong with us. We can't, we can't do that. We can't do that. I remember asking one church one time. I was preaching. I said, how many here love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And a few of the quiet people up front said. And I said, can I just rephrase that again? How many people love the Lord with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, all their strength? And I might add all the time. Then all the hands went down. Because we don't. I remember probably the most godly man I ever heard and met a couple times. I remember him saying, I don't know if I've ever loved the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my heart. For five minutes. And I had to say amen. I mean, I want to. But there's something that gets in the way. Can I get an amen? amen. What do we call it? Sin. Sin. You know, we're born into it. You know? I mean, I'd like to. I want to. But I'll be honest with you. As a, as a, as a preacher, as a minister, I can be praying sometimes and have a bad thought. Anybody have that have, have happened as you... Um, we can't do it. The law is holy. The law is pure. The law is perfect. We just can't do it. We can't. That's why we need a Savior. So, again, once he, the lawyer gives the right answer, and Jesus tells him, you're, you're right, you know, if you do this, you'll live, I think he started to feel the heat. I think he realized, you know, I don't really love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he does what any lawyer does. Let's get into terminology. Uh, and who is my neighbor? You know, let's, get, let's, let's turn the question here. Who's my neighbor? And so the word neighbor is interesting in the Greek. It's plesion. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the person that lives next to you, though it can. It re- what it means is one who is near. So if you're back in the days when me and Dan were, the hippie days, You'll remember uh, a song by Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Love the One You're With. That's pretty much where it's coming from, all right? Whoever you but they, they, of course, took it to an extreme, but we're not going to go there. Uh, but it was love whoever's near you. We're to love that person, wherever you are, wherever you go. That's what the word means, pleshion, one who is near. So he says, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you a story. This is how Jesus answered a lot of questions. You know, he'd always tell stories. And so he, again, talks about this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you look in your map, 
uh, on the, um, in your Bible or whatever, basically in the Mideast, you know, you, we've got the Mediterranean Sea, and to the right of the sea is pretty much where everything goes down in the Bible. All right, down low, Jerusalem, Judea, Bethlehem, in the middle, Samaria, little high, Galilee. So he's, if you notice, um, Jerusalem, he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. If you look on the map, Jerusalem's lower, Jericho's higher. Basically, Jerusalem's on a mountain, it's on a hill. So he's going down from Jerusalem, down the mountain, to Jericho. And while he's doing that, he gets jumped. So they beat him to a pulp, and they leave. They even take his clothes, they leave him naked, and they left him half dead. Then it says, now by chance, a certain priest came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, those who helped the priest. When he saw him, he at least goes over and takes a look at him, but uh, just keeps on moving, passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan... You know, those who were despised, again, he's talking to Jews, you know, Jews don't like Samaritans. So he says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he's on, he's on a trip. He's got a place to go. As he journeyed, he came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. And he set him on his own beast or animal and brought him to an inn. And he took care of him. Anybody notice this guy never once said, that's not my ministry? So he brings him there. And then on the next day, and he reached he took out two denarii, two days' wages, slapped them on the table, said to the innkeeper, would you please take care of them? And if it costs any more, I'll pay you back when I come by. Now, remember, we got all these people trap, uh, trying to trap Jesus, asking all the questions. Now Jesus asked the question. He said, which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer got it right. He who showed mercy on him. Then he said, go and do thou likewise. Now, there are method, a lot of different methods of hermeneutics, you know, interpreting the Bible and so forth. I happen to follow the historical grammatical method, which is basically what it says. You know, you look at the words in the original meaning, the original language, rather, and you look at the meaning they were used, the time they were used, and the story they were used as to what they meant. Because like English, words change over time. You know, for instance, the word Alma in the Old Testament is the word they translate a young virgin. Um, and that's a good translation. Uh, however, all it means is young woman. So some of your more modern versions, one I do not like at all, uh, probably Dan doesn't either, but the NIV, it's not a, 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 a literal translation. It's a paraphrase where scholars kind of take the words in the Greek and say, I think we would say it this way. So they change all the words to, to get the meaning that they think it means. A literal translation goes Greek word, English word, Greek word, English word, Hebrew word, English word, Aramaic, English word. You know, a literal translation does that. That's what the New King James, King James, a few others are. 
So when I was looking at the Greek, again, um, in this text here, and Jesus says, go and do thou likewise, I noticed the words go and do were present tense imperatives. Now, as I was looking at this story and thinking, if I wanted to get to heaven or have eternal life through the law, well, I first off failed that I don't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm just an honest person. You know, I'm, I just, you know, look in the mirror and I, and I see what I see. But when I thought about loving your neighbor as yourself and I thought about this passage, I said, you know what? I, there was a time that I did that. Uh, I'll remember it. I, I had just been released from jail, maybe two, three weeks. We were in the kitchen. It was a nice sunny day. It was about two in the afternoon. And at the back door, which is glass halfway up, I heard this, bam, 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 bam. And I looked over, and there was this guy standing there, long-haired, hippie-looking guy, with a big gash under his eye, blood all over his face. And I, I, I ran over to the door. I opened it up. I said, what happened? He pushed his way. I just got jumped. And he pushed his way in the house. And the guy was dripping wet. He had ran through the swamps in our backyard to escape his attackers. And so he's dripping wet. And I said, well... Well, go into the bathroom. And, and so he went in the bathroom, and as he was going in, I went up the stairs to my room. I said, what size pants you wear? What size shoes? It was my size, you know. So I grab an old pair of pants, dungarees, socks, underwear, sneakers, throw them in there. He gets out, changes, comes out. And I said, what happened? And he said, uh, it was a bad drug deal. Now, I could have done a few thou shalt nots, but, um, you know, the chaplain I had in jail taught me, you know, that we had to love our brothers, sisters, our neighbors, our enemies. And so you never go wrong if you just love. So, I, so when he said that, my father, you know, he had seen the change in me. I, again, I came to faith in, in jail. My father would visit me a lot, and he noticed that I was changing, and he was kind of like, what is up with my son? You know, he's, you know, he's talking, not talking right. He's got love and all, you know, he's happy, he's joy. And, and so when he heard this guy saying, it was a bad drug, he said, you ought to talk to my son. I mean, talk about an open door, huh? So I said, yeah, so we'll sit down. So I told him, I said, listen, man, I was in that scene. You know, I, I, yeah, I've done some drugs drinking and all that, and, and I took a ride, all right? I did some time. Um, but I, I opened the Bible, and, and I read about Jesus. You know, he took my beating. He shed his blood. He washed away all my sins, and he'll do that for you, for whosoever. And, uh, and we prayed and talked some more, and he prayed, and he wanted to receive Christ. We, we sat down, we ate, and... And I remember he, he wanted to get home. He lived in Dorchester, and uh, the bus was up on Main Street. And to get, for him to get back up to the bus, he'd have to take, go through the village where he got jumped. So he was, he was all worried and afraid. And I said, don't worry, we'll get you there. So we put him in the back seat down low. We drive through the village. We go up to the bus stop. He didn't even have a buck for the bus. So I reached. So I'm thinking about the story. I'm saying, you know, I might have loved my neighbor once. But the words go and do, again, go and do this likewise, they're present tense imperatives. Now, you know what an imperative is, right? Imperative? A command, right. Um, the present tense of the verb means you don't do this once. We're to do this in a continued or repeated manner. You want it in English? You're supposed to do this all the time. So again, if you were trying to get to heaven through the law, You'd have to love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and again, all the time. 
and love your neighbor like this all the time. I don't do that. Neither do you. If you think you do, then take the test. The test is find a body of water and walk across it. <laughs> Tell me how you make out. It requires perfection. In fact, let me just give it to you blind. You, you, let me just get down and dirty. No one, no one can live the Christian life. Why? Because it requires perfection. You have to be perfect. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength all the time. Love your neighbor as yourself all the time. It requires perfection. And we don't do that. That's why we need a Savior. Can I get an amen? Amen. We need someone to save our souls. And the only one whom God sent was his son. He so loved the world. He gave not one, but his only one. To take our beating, to shed his blood, to slowly die on the cross, be buried and rise again so that some could be saved. I've shared this a hundred times in the jail and uh, in some churches, but uh, I had two sons. I lost one recently, but I had two sons. And to be honest, if I had to give one of them to be beaten beyond recognition, I mean blindfold, sucker punched, beaten so bad you couldn't recognize him, whipped 40 lashes, save one, nailed to a cross to slowly bleed. If I had to do that with one of them so that some could go to heaven, you'd be in trouble. You'd be in trouble. I couldn't do it. Thank God he didn't call me to do that. But God gave his only son. And when people lose a loved one and so forth and, and they cry, you know, where is God and all of this? Where is God? And I'll tell you where he is. He's in the same place he was when he watched his son slowly bleed and die. So you could be saved. That's how much he loves you. Some of us need to chew on that a little bit. I mean, think about it. God loved you so much that he would send his own son to die for you. That's how much he loved you. You may need to chew on that. Really, really think about that sometime. Just get along with God and really think about it. That's how much you mean to him. So, again, which one do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Well, the one who showed mercy. Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. You know, when, you, when you're reading the Bible and it tells us where to meditate on it, where to think about it, you know, as you're meditating on it, you know, for me at least, the question always arises. I don't care if I'm reading about the ten lepers, you know, one comes back and gives thanks after they're all cleansed, or if I'm reading about the Pharisee and the uh, tax collector in the temple praying, one saying, what a good boy I am I, and the other one beating his breast saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I don't care which one you read or this. The question that will naturally arise, where am I? You know, God asked this twice in the Bible. Remember what Adam said? He said, Adam, where art thou? You remember? Anybody ever think about that? First off, let me, let me clue you in. Let me ask a question. Does God have to ask where, where Adam is? No. no, no, he don't. He knows where he is, by a rock. Uh, when God cleansed the ten lepers. Only one came back to give thanks. He said, were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? 
Again, and when God's asking a question, you need to think, does God have to ask what the other nine are? No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't know some things or most things or many. He knows all. He's omniscient. So when, when he asks those things, he's not really asking for his own uh, understanding here. He wants you to think about it. He wants you to say, where am I? Where am I? Because if you're lost and you're having a hard time finding your way and you're wondering what it's all about, is there any meaning to life? Is there any reason, any purpose? Is there any hope? If that's where you are, I got good news. God not only gave us his son, the living word, he also gave us the Bible, the written word. And these are the ones that kind of show us how not to be lost anymore, but bring us to the one whom we need to be with. You know, he, he's the one who will find us where we are and save us from our sins and give us eternal life, which is not just living forever, by the way. Uh, I'll give you the definition of eternal life right from the lips of Jesus. If you want to turn to John 17, and we'll close. John 17, here's how Jesus describes it. He's praying. It's a whole chapter where Jesus is praying to God, his Father. And I'm in Luke. Let's go to John. John 17. And he's praying to his Father in heaven. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. You ready? You got your Bible? You might want to underline. Here it is, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the God-man, whom you have sent. You want to know what eternal life is? It's to know God, the only true God. That's when it all comes together. He doesn't watch. Now, some know about him. I know that. A lot of people know about him. Yeah, Jesus, yeah, Mary, father, some mother was Mary or something. Yeah. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about knowing him. And this is what eternal life is, when you come to know him. And how do you know him? Like how you know anyone. You spend time with them. Can I get an amen? The more you spend time with them, you get to know them. And the more you spend time with God and his word, the more he will reveal himself to you, and the more you will get to know him. And when you really get to know him, you'll have no problem trusting him. Remember, we don't trust strangers. Remember what mommy said? We don't trust strangers. You've got to get to know him. And the more you get to know him, the easier it'll be for you to trust him. And that is all over the Bible. When you trust him... That's when things happen. That's when life comes to meaning and you have a purpose and a reason and a hope that no one can ever take away. So I'm assuming here, I know Dan preaches the gospel, uh, and I'm assuming everyone here has done that. But if you haven't and you're wondering what it's all about, I'm telling you, it's all about this one. His name is Jesus. He's the one God sent to reveal the Father to us. He says over and over, he who has seen me has seen 
the Father. If you want to know God, you'll know him through Jesus. And if you haven't got a Bible, we'll give you one. And if you want to know how to come into a relationship with him, Pastor Dan, Pastor Bill, Brian, there are many here that would love to lead you to the Lord. Well, thank you uh, for, praying, uh, for being here this morning and let me open the word. Let's pray. And uh, again, if you don't know him, please see us before the service ends. Lord, thank you for you because there is no one like you. No one comes close. Thank you for your son, for your Holy Spirit, for your word, for your mercy, your grace, your love and compassion. Thank you for opening our eyes so we could see who you are and trust you and believe in you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that as we've come into worship, we will depart to serve and look for opportunities to share this blessed gospel, this good news, with whosoever, with the hope that they will trust you and be saved from the wrath to come. While there is still hope, we ask, in accordance with your will, in the name of your Son, with thanksgiving, amen.